0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined today by a fellow UFO podcaster. He's also a published author. He's a playwright. And you've seen him on your television screens on the CW's Mysteries Decoded. And you might have just seen him on Ancient Aliens. Ryan Sprague, welcome back to the pod, man. (laughs)
1: <laughs> thanks brother yeah my um my hair is slowly getting taller the more uh this ancient aliens thing happens so no that uh that was an adventure i i can tell you that much um i've been very critical of that show in the past so the fact that they had me on is still beyond me but um it was fun man it was fun more to come more to come
0: uh, well you know that's that's good because i mean they seem to have kind of hit that plateau of stuff that we can cover from the past. So let's let's dive into the <laughs> stuff that's going on now. So why not get people who are into the stuff that's going on now onto the show? So I, I mean, it's great. it's great. It's great. It's a great opportunity for you, and it's great because we can see you on the TV screen in 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 pure like 4K glory.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's extremely kind of you man and yeah i mean i told them when they when they reached out to me i said look i'm not talking about aliens building the pyramids like we're not going there that's not the kind of researcher i am i don't believe in that um but if you want me to talk about what's going on today in the current landscape i'd be happy to and that was their season premiere it was catching everyone up on what's been happening in the past few years you know with the pentagon and everything and i said sure like i'd be happy to do that it's a interesting time to be living in with UFOs and that so yeah I I thought what better opportunity than to get it out to as many people as possible than with the controversial ancient aliens television show but that's not what we're here to talk about we're here to talk about something much different and that's why I love your show
0: (laughs) yeah uh today we're talking about uh you know Russia's probably Russia's most famous UFO case but also talking about uh, the activity that was going on in russia around the time of the Voronezh landing and it's it's very interesting because when we look at ufo reports coming out of russia for a long time they seem to be just like leaked to some of the folks that were uh writing about ufos in in journals and magazines mm-hmm. and stuff like that like uh Gordon Creighton talked about how he had a source and, and uh, how he basically just kind of lost touch with that source, assuming that they had died at some point. Uh, But just um, for a long time, UFOs used to be something very secret out of Russia. And uh, that's not to say that uh, our government was the most forthcoming about UFOs at uh, (laughs) during the forties through the late sixties. So, you know, there's definitely a, a mirroring there, probably a little more uh visible and and more reports from the United States definitely made their way across uh across the continent but in nineteen eighty nine we see uh things starting to change in in russia uh and uh you know in in late September and early october soviet news agencies began publishing stories of UFO landings and occupant encounters from around Western Russia and, and including a dramatic one that we're going to be talking about in uh, Konentsevo, which mm-hmm. is uh, it's in Eastern Russia. It's actually, it's not really too far from voronezh itself, but um, when the voronezh landing kind of, broke because it became a national headline across the the entire world. It was uh, uh, things were translated in uh, countless different languages. But it was on October 9th, 1989, that the Soviet news agency uh, TASS reported the incredible close encounter of the third kind case from the city of Voronezh. And Voronezh is an industrial city of nearly a million residents. I I think the number that they gave was around 900,000 at the time. Mm -hmm. And they produced everything from machinery to cigarettes. And uh, it's located about 300 miles away from Moscow and near Mendelev Street in Yuzny Park, Otherwise known as South Park.
2: (laughs) So Yes,
0: Cartman. (laughs) Exactly. Like I I, every time I read that, I can't not think of uh you know South Park. I can't not think of thinking of uh,
1: Cartman smoking cigarettes at that uh cigarette factory in Russia. He's got a little (laughs) sickle and hammer on his um his coat. It's perfect, man. You guys totally see that UFO that's laying (laughs) in that park right over there? oh god we got to get on this man the ufo yeah. episode wait wasn't the first self-work yeah. episode about an alien abduction if yeah, I it was remember? about
0: an alien abduction and an anal probe that led yep. to a satellite dish coming out
1: of cartman's <laughs> ass so wow you, you can't go on <laughs> good tangent there man good tangent <laughs> absolutely
0: so uh there were a number of uh boys and girls that attended school number 33 And at first they witnessed this strange pink glow in the sky at around 6.30 p.m. Uh, Vasya Shurin, Jenya Blinov, and a few other students were actually playing soccer nearby. And most of the people in the park at that time were children between the ages of about 9 and 12, just hanging out, uh, playing sports and all that good stuff. And uh, this object turned from a pink to a deep red as it descended toward the park its shape was described as everything from a ball to an egg to even a banana uh (laughs) which is very strange because uh everything seems to kind of get funneled into uh, one shape when you have uh, a mass ufo sighting like this especially uh we covered Uh, And it hasn't made it to the main feed yet, but it's been released on the Patreon is the um, aerial school landing. And those kids pretty much all described something very different Mm there. Well, you know, they drew things. They were very they were very unique. Some were like, you know, bullet-shaped objects with windows on it. Some were cylindrical, some were, you know, a lot of them were your classic saucers that had portholes on them and stuff like that. So this gets condensed down into like a spherical object is what these kids end up seeing. Um, And that, that became the popular consensus that the news stories picked up. And it flew above the children doing these concentric circles over the park before vanishing and it reappeared minutes later, descending and just hovering about 12 meters or 40 feet above the park. A three meter, 10 foot tall aperture opened on the side of the craft and light from the inside started to flood out. But it was soon replaced with by the silhouette of this tall, burly figure. <sighs> Their movements were slow, but... Whoever this was, they were just insanely tall, nearly as tall as the aperture itself. Their head was strange, quote, like a small hemisphere set between the shoulders. And uh, the best equivalent that I can come up with for the Voronezh aliens is Juggernaut from The (laughs) X-Men.
1: Oh, my God. I'm looking at the image right now. One of the artist renderings. Yes, this is Juggernaut. I mean through and through i'm the juggernaut bitch (laughs) sorry exactly no that's exactly
0: (laughs) what that alien is thinking that's what he came out
1: and said yeah (laughs) (laughs) that that
0: video is still that youtube video is still classic even to this day you can't go wrong
1: it's insane it looks just like juggernaut like if if your if your listeners go and look at the artist renderings of this thing and the fact that it was as tall as the um you know the opening of the craft i mean God, he must have been crammed in that thing. His his back must have been killing him.
0: Yeah, that that's a work hazard right there. And <laughs> I seriously hope they've got comp of some kind uh, that they are offered for taking this job and and bringing their asses to Russia of all places.
2: <laughs> so... The South Park, yep. Oh, oh yeah, the nice South. <laughs> no,
0: no, no. You're good. To, yeah, the South Park. Um, anal probes and satellite ass satellites yeah ass (laughs) satellites i like that yeah so they had three this figure had three luminous dots on their head two of which produced a white light while the third placed slightly above what you would call maybe two eyes uh it glowed red and this third eye was described as movable swiveling around like a radar Hmm and this being seemed to scan the horizon for a period of time before the aperture closed and the craft descended toward the ground. This spherical ar- object was large, um, some describing it as about 9 meters or 30 feet wide, and while other witnesses said it was about uh fifteen meters or fifty feet long to four meters or thirteen feet wide and seven <laughs> meters or twenty-two feet high. So Damn. Uh, yeah. It's all over the place. It is all over the place. I, I think that just gets into the idea that uh we are not good at judging size very well. Well,
1: and like you mentioned, man, mass UFO sightings, you're gonna get these discrepancies, especially with children. Like they don't know how to properly measure things like what's the first thing we do when someone sends us like a ufo video or says like you know what should i do to properly take a photo well it's like put something in context make sure there's a tree in there make sure there's a building so we could say oh it was above the building so it's at least 40 feet high you know in the sky blah 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 so i get it i get why there's so much discrepancy
0: yeah exactly and i mean uh, I I remember watching. I think it was an episode of Monster Quest back in the day where they were trying to set up this experiment to see how if people could judge size from distance, and they failed miserably. Every single <laughs> one of them. So, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 definitely uh, a thing. Sense. Yep. Yep. So this aperture, it opened up again, and from it emerged uh, three beings. In some reports, it says one being, but uh, the consensus in the reporting up front was that there were three beings that emerged from this craft, and they were three to four meters tall, or about nine to 13 feet. They wore silver-colored overalls and bronze boots, and I gotta say, the, the, the fashion choices here.
1: I'm behind it. I'm here for it. I'm here for it, man. This is like some vegas showgirl boot sort of thing again it reminds me of like the x-men comics like the Mm -hmm. old school x-men where they all had those big stripper boots that they wore even the guys and these flashy tights and i I, these artist renderings are just incredible i can't take my eyes off of them (laughs)
0: Yeah, I love all the artwork that was made for the Veronish landing because, like, there are some very artistic interpretive pieces, and then there's the straight to the point sketches, and then there are some that are just like probably they they could be displayed in a museum just by how amazing and elaborate they they look. Um, and uh, another distinguishing feature about what these beings wore there was kind of this like circular emblem on their chest. Mm-hmm. and they were accompanied by a small boxy robot like creature uh one of the taller beings seemed to attend to this robot briefly just like bending over and kind of like pushing a button or something and when it did it started to walk around on its own <laughs> nice and in later reports um yeah it's it, especially when Jacques Valet got involved in this case because Kind of like John Mack when he went to the aerial school, Jacques Vallée showed up in Russia, I want to say like three months after this incident had taken place. He talked to many of the kids, and Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's from his reporting primarily that we get that there was particularly one being instead of three. But uh, regardless, they circled around their craft several times and one of the beings emitted like a number of strange sounds which uh uh, it seemed to be that one was giving orders to the others and a beam of light shone down from their chest creating uh, a series of triangles that were 30 centimeters or 11 inches by 50 centimeters or 19 inches and in other reports it was said that uh, this being created like this large luminous square uh, right in the ground. And then the beings and the craft itself just completely disappeared for about five minutes.
1: Okay. Well, let, Rob, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, this idea of the, the beings or the occupants running around the craft. I mean, that's identical. Correct me if I'm wrong to the, zimbabwe case weren't Mm -hmm. didn't the kids in that case mention that one of the beings was running around the perimeter of the craft as if like trying to fix something or like I, i don't know scope out the area but that's exactly what i thought of when you said that was what is it with these beings like are they coming in to did something go wrong and they're trying to repair it that's what it sounds like more to me with this case it's you know one being is yelling orders to another um trying to get the little robot box dude to uh do their bidding. I don't know, fix the the tailpipe. I, I I don't know. But um yeah it is really interesting that you have many of these child witness UFO cases where they say that the beings are running around the craft.
0: Yeah exactly. Uh there are definite parallels to the aerial school landing and just uh there was some kids that said they saw these beings just like bouncing all around the craft mm-hmm. the one of which was like standing on top of the thing but yeah there there are definite parallels to draw here and like the repair cases because we just we just covered a repair case um, uh, on on you know last week's episode and mm-hmm. the the idea that like these UFOs just seem to, like, break down all the time. Like, it just seems like there's a, there's a lot of time in which uh, uh, it's either soil samples or they're fixing their shit, basically.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, we talked about that in our Africa episode over yeah. on Somewhere in the Sky. It's like, these things happen. They travel how many light years away? Um, Nothing's going to go as you planned. I, I mean, come on. How many satellites have we crashed out in space? How many probes have gone missing that we've never found? It it just it happens. So, you know, even if they're you know, what, thousands of years ahead of us, it's still nothing is perfect. Even with uh even with these aliens in in South Park in Russia. It's just not gonna happen. Not gonna happen.
0: No, and I mean, we've all uh, up until the James Webb Space Telescope, like fully deployed, like the other day, everybody was like uh, with bated breath, oh like God, hoping man. that yeah. everything
1: <laughs> would go I right. was like, please, please let everything go okay. <laughs> and there's yeah. still work to be done, but we're on our way.
0: Yes, we are. Um, By the time that the beings in the craft just reappeared, the the audience had grown there were a lot of adults that had joined the children um and there were some additional children that also joined in on this and the reappearance of them caused uh one of the bo- a a, bo- a nearby boy to cry out in fear and in response one of the beings paralyzed him was just this hypnotic glare or something <laughs> like that just looked right at him and he's just like you're done stop moving
1: damn dude that is like the stare of death, apparently. That would have been me. I would have been that boy to cry out in fear. Out of everyone there, no matter how many UFO cases I've looked into, if I was there in 89 experiencing this, I would be the one to cry out in fear. So I, I feel for this kid. I do. This is crazy, though. Like, just paralyzed him with a glance.
0: Yes. And uh, when this being the this leader-like being reappeared. He had some weird looking rod in his hand and he pointed it at another boy and shot him with a beam of light. And (laughs) when he did this, it caused him to just disappear.
1: Wow. Okay. All right. All right. This is this is terrifying, dude. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie. Like, we could joke about the juggernaut, but like paralyzing people, disappearing like where'd the kid go?
0: Right. Like You know, in the comics, the Juggernaut, he's just an unstoppable force. But when you give the Juggernaut a wand, things (laughs) get increasingly scarier. Get increasingly more Harry Potter-ish, if you will. (laughs) Yes. Uh, (sighs) What happens when Juggernaut goes to Hogwarts?
1: (laughs) That is definitely a crossover I want to see.
0: Oh, totally. (laughs) The boy reappeared just a few minutes later after the beings and their robot had uh, re-entered their craft and it had shot off into the air and the residents of Voronezh, they were very wary following this incident of September 27th. And in response, the mayor uh Victor at Atlasov and the parliamentary deputy, Janadi Kab- uh, Kabassian Uh, established an independent commission composed of scientists criminologists doctors meteorologists and actually ufo investigators so we've got a melding of a lot of different uh people from all walks of light to to come together to study this and uh they formed the verona's branch for the study of anomalous phenomenon uh and it was officially commissioned but they were not Actually, the only ones during this time that uh, formed, there was the mm. Voronezh branch of the Alexander Popov Scientific and Electronic Association. Uh, they were an independent commission who investigated the landing site and documented UFO cases from around the area in the days and weeks leading up to and following the Voronezh landing. So uh, there, this department, this UFO group, was essentially set up under... I think the best way to put it would be like their uh, electricians' union,
1: in hmm. a way. So-, so, so it would be like Con Edison here mm-hmm. in New York being the ones in charge of like a UFO landing. Yeah, interesting. Okay, yeah. I'm in. Yeah. At the
0: the landing site, several marks were noted on the ground. Circular depressions set in a circular pattern. 18 meters or about 60 feet wide. Four holes noted the spot where the feet had supported the craft. They were 15 centimeters or 6 inches in diameter. And 4 centimeters or about 1.5 inches deep. Others claim that the holes were deeper, upwards of 25 to 30 centimeters, or about 9 to 11 inches in diameter, and 20 to 25 centimeters, or 7 to 9 inches deep. So there were additional holes that were noted, about two of them. They were 38 centimeters, or about 15 inches deep, suggesting that soil samples had been taken Uh, Not far from these holes was an area of also flattened grass. Mm. And and taking the marks into consideration, they determined that the craft weighed approximately 11 tons. Ooh, that is heavy. Beefy. That thing is is beefy.
1: Beefy craft, yep. Dang.
0: Some news agencies reported that there was an intense magnetic field found And though no consensus was reached on this aspect, gamma radiation was found to be present at the site. Higher-than-background readings were detected in the soil from the landing marks. And according to Valet's investigation, a spot directly underneath the craft itself... Investigators used a multidisciplinary tactic to carry out the investigation. Geiger counters and other meters were used in the area. 17 soil samples were taken. Uh, But they also used, uh, interestingly enough, um, uh, they called it biolocation, but uh, we would call it dowsing. So like dowsing rods. They also had uh, some other type of... uh, Instruments. So if you could read the first quote there.
1: Yeah, sure. This is a direct quote from the investigators. Uh, As dowsing gear, they used single cell water plants in a test tube. At the area below where the craft had reportedly been hovering, the plants distributed themselves uniformly, producing an even greenish light. Outside that area, they gathered themselves together clearly visible, parallel, dark green colored veins. Oof yeah just
0: using plants to confirm ufo landing sites
1: that's (laughs) i i remember when valet first heard of he was like so what are you guys how you doing this and they're like oh biolocation and he's like what the hell is that (laughs) like he had no idea what they were talking about like he was supposed to know it and they're like uh duh and then they explained to him that quote i just gave you so (laughs) valet was like okay, I guess we're doing this now, and I guess the electrical companies are uh, now involved with investigating UFOs. Cool, got it.
0: (laughs) All a different tactic and all probably more organized than what we do in the United States.
1: (laughs) Oh, for sure. That is for damn sure. Uh Uh,
0: For all intents and purposes, both groups uh, took the investigation seriously, entertaining all sides and no sides at the same time. The story of the Voronezh landing appeared in print all across the world, including a piece in the New York Times. Stanislav uh, K- Kadmensky, I think that's how that That, that was goes. good, yeah. I yeah. think that's right. A <laughs> uh, professor of nuclear physics at the University of Voronezh commented...
1: He said, quote, if a landing by a UFO at Voronich were to be proved, then it would mean that we have something to learn about the special theory of relativity, and it would indicate that there exists another sort of physics that is at present unknown to us.
0: The mayor, Viktor Atlasov, expressed his belief in what the children were saying. Even the Russian Orthodox Church weighed in on the matter, rumors that (laughs) Christians were praying at the landing site were big. The Moscow Weekly News
1: contacted the church, who in response said, quote, it is an act of Satan, not of God. A true Christian would never go to that place in the park to pray. Wow, man. (laughs) Leave it to the, um, you know, the Orthodox Church to uh, weigh in and put a, Put a downer on this whole thing immediately.
0: The Orthodox Church does not fuck with UFOs
2: at all. <laughs>
1: Apparently not. Apparently, at least not back then. I mean, it looks like the churches are getting more and more involved nowadays. But yeah, they were not having it back in 89. I can tell you that much, at least not in Russia.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Both groups were able to find additional eyewitnesses around Voronezh. Uh, that reported UFO sightings in the region. And in fact, they found sightings ranging from September 21st to October 3rd. On the 27th in particular, they found several witnesses to UFO activity in Voronezh. Lieutenant Sergei Matviev of the Voronezh Militia stated,
1: quote, on September 27th at about 7 p.m., I was walking in the area of the park. Suddenly, I noticed a luminous ball sweeping past on a northerly course at an extraordinary speed, strictly horizontally at an altitude of roughly 600 feet. I estimated its diameter to be roughly 45 feet. Yuri
0: Petrovich. I'm not giving that last name. I don't know why I bothered writing it down. But Yuri Petrovich, another witness reported.
1: Quote, "on September 27th between 6 and 7 p.m. I saw from my balcony a reddish sphere appearing over the horizon. It flew at a relatively low altitude toward the left bank of the river, hovering over the village of Atroshka and then it disappeared behind the houses. It was not moving fast; it flew at a speed of a small plane.
0: Following the initial sighting of the object at South Park," There were additional sightings around Veronage, most notably at a local power station.
1: Yeah, this one really caught my attention, Rob. Mm. Um, I know Valet commented on this. He's like, this ain't just about three-eyed aliens. We're talking about like UFOs over nuclear power plants, which is a big thing. So um, yeah, I'll read this one here. Quote, around 9 p.m. for 5 to 10 minutes, I observed a fairly large flattened sphere shaped like an orange. This happened in the vicinity of the mining equipment plant. I experienced a feeling of intense fear for which I could not account. The most
0: dramatic encounter came from a witness that Jacques Vallée had interviewed. N.M. Poldyakov was a factory worker in Voronezh, And it's unclear if his sighting took place on or around that particular day. But regardless, he and a few of his friends had an intense UFO encounter in September of 1989.
1: Okay. Yeah. Get ready for this one. <laughs> Quote, at the end of September, we were driving to the Southern suburb of Veronich. All of a sudden our headlights went out. The radio died out in the middle of a song. The engine died too. The car coasted, giving us a chance to get on the shoulder of the road. We tried to turn the ignition key back and forth in vain. The driver wanted to have a smoke, but the car lighter did not work. He took out some matches, but they would not ignite. The driver threw away a cigarette in frustration, and he went out to take a look under the hood. And then I heard his voice with a tone of intense surprise. Look! Look quick! He stood there with his arm outstretched, pointing toward the sky behind the car. I turned around and saw a pinkish-yellow sphere shining dimly above the road about 300 feet away. It was hard to tell its size because of the distance, but I'm certain that its diameter was over 30 feet. At the bottom of the sphere, there was a protuberance that reminded me of a ball-shaped growth on a tree. That's very specific. Mm -hmm. Um, Suddenly, (laughs) a light appeared from it, not very bright, trembling and flickering. The beam came down and slowly moved along the ground towards us. It seemed strange that the surface touched by the ray was full of a bluish... Uh, a full of bluish sparkles, and everything was quivering as if we were in a haze on a hot day. Once in a while, there was a blinding flash that was reflected by the surface. When the beam approached the car, I experienced an unpleasant fear. I felt constrained. I did not want to move or do anything. My good mood disappeared without a trace. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie Downer, man. He immediately went from (laughs) one to a hundred in depression on this one. Um, The ray moved over the car hood. The engine started to smoke the way it does when the radiator overheats. There was a feeling of something slipping in. The car moved and something appeared on the driver's seat. I sensed an alien presence. I felt that I could stretch my arm and touch the invisible being. And although my brain and my willpower ordered my hand to touch the unpleasant thing, I could not move my arm. What was it? Fear? Was I like a rabbit hypnotized by a cobra? <laughs> That's, <laughs> I love it. That is a dynamite description. As a writer, this guy, I, I, need, to get, I need to hire this guy to write my episodes, Rob. Um, <laughs> all right, here's his last quote, I promise. Then the ray moved away. Then I could breathe easier for several seconds it was dark and quiet and then great (laughs) the dashboard lit up the radio came back on as if nothing had happened the driver turned on the engine
0: it's interesting to note there's a similarity with which uh the the being this alien presence that appears in this car Mm -hmm. over on the patreon uh one of the first bonus episodes that I put up was uh kind of this these uh handful of incidents that I hadn't covered uh from Africa on the main show so I brought them over to uh the the, the Patreon and there was a, a one in, incident in particular it was a, an abduction case in which this couple that was driving from uh Zimbabwe to South Africa had this like hours long abduction experience in which uh, a UFO pretty much kind of like followed them all the way from uh, Zimbabwe to South Africa. But at one point the main witness in the case described how, uh, and this was under hypnosis, that there was like an alien being that was teleported into his car. He never turned around to look at it, but, just he he felt this presence that was in his car so it's interesting to see the similarities here you know aliens just beaming themselves into other people's cars like some rude asses here
1: (laughs) or or rob you know the cases where they beam the uh abductee in and out i just Mm -hmm. uh finished an episode on the denise stoner alien abductions and same thing like there was a point where her car was like in a suspended animation and the beings teleported her out, left the husband and then vice versa. So it's, it's really interesting how like without the consent, it's just like they are dematerializing people or themselves and just popping up wherever they damn well, please. It's uh, it's, it's intrusive to say the least.
0: Very intrusive. Just yeah. no consent uh, at all in this situation, which is, uh, it's just a problem because it's scary as fuck. But, <laughs> uh, in the aftermath of the sighting, he turned to the driver and said, What could all of this mean? And the driver turned to him, puzzled, wondering what he meant. The driver couldn't remember the car stopping, or perhaps he was just choosing not to remember. So, during after these folks have this dramatic encounter with this weird ufo and they beam an alien into their car one of the witnesses says i don't know what you're talking about man did we
1: even stop the car i don't think we Uh, did oh god that's so creepy I, i well and i also love that um the driver after this all happens the first thing he says, "What could all this mean?" Yeah. Like he's immediately going to like the philosophical conversation that could be had about all this, <laughs> not like, "What the what what is going on? What just happened? We got to get out of here?" Hmm. "What could all this mean in the grand <laughs> scheme of things?" <laughs> that's what I love. But yeah, man, um did this even happen? That that's that's the real question.
0: Yeah, and he was not convinced. And and I can imagine how frustrating that has to be to a UFO witness when you experience something this dramatic and the person that was standing there right next to you when it happened, just uh, cho- either chooses not to believe that it happened or right. uh, doesn't recognize that it even did happen. So
1: yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's troubling. That is, that's, that's tough. Yeah. I, I've yeah. spoken to so many Uh, people who've been in the same situation where they've been right next to someone and had a completely different experience or no experience at all. So yeah, it's, it's gotta be frustrating. I can't even imagine.
0: Yeah. Details of the additional landings around Varonage between September 21st and October 3rd are scant, but in addition to the large hulking humanoid and his boxy robot friend, eyewitnesses reported a third kind of being, that were small, in the neighborhood of four feet tall, with grayish green faces, and wore blue overcoats. So, hmm. I, I, I one of the things that's frustrating about the Veronish landing and all the coverage that it's given and 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 everything that comes after is that they the people that investigated it said we found a bunch of different cases between these dates, and yet there are not. There, there's not a lot that are published so right i don't understand why that is even valet didn't publish them in in the one book that he did write uh after taking his trip to russia and in, in, in which he covered the voronezh landing and such so uh, it's kind of just frustrating how we don't have information about any of these other incidents
1: yeah and it, it too like this is kind of what happens when you have a mass ufo sighting i've noticed in um some of my research looking at the phoenix lights or um uh what was that other one in uh it wasn't zimbabwe but there was another case in was it wales where it happened um Oh, gosh, it's escaping me, Rob. But, yeah, when you have these mass UFO sightings, you start to see all these other incidents that seem to occur around the same time, and you have to wonder, is this because people are being influenced by that mass UFO sighting? Are they now paranoid or hysterical that something is going to happen to them so everything immediately becomes a UFO or every street light going out is going to be uh, a craft coming in for a landing? Um I can understand how that paranoia could seep in and you would start hearing all these really weird stories from your neighbor and your, you know, your, your grocer and, and everyone in between. But, um, yeah, thank God that Valet came out with that book, man. Um, what was it? UFO Chronicles of the Soviet Union. Yeah. Um, something like that. Yeah. Cause if he hadn't come out with all those other cases, that happened around this time we never would have known about them because russia was still being very tight-lipped on what was going on but like you said this this case became so big that they couldn't choose to ignore it even if they wanted to in russia
0: yeah exactly it just kind of blew the lid off of their ufo coverage in in the country and 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 just uh it it definitely it it brought down the secrecy and and, and within the coverage that uh flying saucer review in particular had of of this stuff and in the in the stuff that they were given because they were sent a lot of information from people from russia in that uh they chronicled how for a long period of time you could not publish anything about ufos especially during the last parts of the cold war uh up until about 1989, everything was tight-lipped. You couldn't say anything about it, and then, uh, you know, people are leaking out you know, mm-hmm. UFO reports to to other countries, you know, uh, the UK and the United States and stuff. But uh, this incident happens, and it's just like, well, let's just drop all this UFO secrecy. Let's let everything out there,
1: right? And I, part of me, wonders if this was all. A strategic plan, right? Of, as I'm sure we'll we'll talk about a little later. But yeah, mm-hmm. you do have to wonder. You know, was it the dam breaking finally, or, or was this all part of some big disinformation campaign, which a lot of people have talked about in the past? Um, so I'm sure we'll get there. But I'm getting ahead of you.
0: Nearly a month after the incident, the Veronish branch of the Study of Anomalous Phenomenon determined that. There was no evidence that aliens had landed in South Park on September 29th, 1989. And you can imagine how much of an uproar the UFO community was in over this.
1: Oh, yeah. It, again, it's just like the freaking governor in Phoenix saying nothing happened in Phoenix. In you know, back when that happened, they were probably pissed. Yeah. Especially Definitely. if they were one of those kids getting zapped by a rod or a magic wand.
0: Yeah, seriously. Uh, also, Veronish aliens Give me a call, I want to know how I can get one of those
1: <laughs> And yet,
0: as the secrecy Around the UFO subject lessened Reports of additional sightings around Central Russia began to emerge In late June and early July Residents of various cities Reported a myriad of objects And humanoids But uh, sightings actually go back to About April of that year The earliest sighting occurred on April 24th, 1989 at around 10:45 p.m., Miss TV uh, Golovatskaya nice. saw a brilliant, glowing object from a balcony uh, of her house. This squarish object projected a green beam of light toward the ground, which illuminated the area as if it were daytime. Another witness to this incident, Antonina Dmitrievna recalled that the object was 10 to 12 meters or 32 to 39 feet long with a blunt nose and created a fish-shaped tail behind it. Hmm. According to a fisherman who had seen the same object, when the light first came on, four humanoids were visible inside, two of which moved to the rear of the craft. At 3 a.m. that night, V. Prudnikov, was driving his car when it suddenly stalled. Then everything all around him became bright as day. He tried to start his car engine again and again, but it would not start. That was when he caught sight of a gigantic, mushroom-shaped object that was only two meters or six feet tall, standing on a number of legs. After the object departed, he met a driver further on who thought he was nuts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i'm glad they stuck that last note in there oh yeah we met another driver who clearly thought he was insane yes yeah
0: on june 17th vr Mironov and several eyewitnesses saw a, sh- a shining ball in the sky according to their report it resembled the moon but was yellowish gray in color it hung low in the sky and when the witnesses came close to it a human face appeared on the object itself all right that's Whoa. just creepy as shit that's, that's
1: like oh yeah that's like some man on the moon crap right there i what why was it why was it a human face that's what i want to know
0: yeah i have am- you ever
1: heard of anything like this
0: no I've never heard yeah. of like projections on the UFO itself of faces and, and this things. This is so, a first. Yeah. Yes. And then things are going to get a little stranger here. To quote the report, then suddenly a hat appeared on the ball. Okay. Mm-hmm. Soon it assumed the appearance of an ingot of pig iron, changing color from yellow to crimson, while in the middle a gray stripe now appeared.
1: What the hell is an ingot of pig iron?
0: Uh, It's just like basically like a small. It's just a small like amount of iron that you would like maybe melt down. OK, to, you know, like make into something.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, that that one threw me. I, I wasn't quite sure what that was, but that's good to know. OK, I have some liked, context.
0: Yeah, I liked how descriptive they got with it. <laughs> yeah, man. Then a flashing spot lit up dimly. It lit up for two minutes or so until from it, there appeared the outline of an aircraft in a dive. Then a couple minutes later, the aircraft turned into a tank. Like, whoa, this feels like some. I don't know, some like deceptive technology or some shit. I was
1: just going to say that. Um, Holograms. Some really high-tech stuff going on here. Um, You know, I I remember talking to Nick Redfern, the UFO researcher, about Rendlesham and how he thought a lot of that could have been holograms messing with these dudes out on this military base. So maybe we're seeing uh, some of the same stuff going on here. This is some nine years after the Rendlesham Forest incident. So, gosh, the technology was probably even better then.
0: And I mean, now look, look, you've got projectors that can project holiday images on your house during Christmas.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yep. We're seeing the early versions of this um, being tested on people in Russia. Unfortunately, um, this is all just for Christmas decorations, guys. Don't yeah. worry. There's no aliens coming to Russia. Just Christmas decorations.
0: This is a marketing scheme. We have figured I love it out. it.
1: <laughs> So,
0: yes, absolutely genius. And then the image on it faded out and three shining points began to sparkle, forming a glowing isosceles triangle. The performance ended as suddenly as it had begun and the UFO had vanished. Things are going to get a lot weirder here. The most dramatic encounter during this wave of sightings came from the village of Konatsevo. A small group of children... Uh, Sergey, Sasha, Marina, Olya, Liuda, uh, they were returning from a nearby river at the time. It was around 3.30 p.m. on June 6th when the youngest child, Sasha, noticed a quote-unquote kite in the sky. It's interesting to note here, and this was emphasized in the report, that was printed in flying saucer review the children of Konitsevo did not fly kites and in <laughs> fact they had never seen uh, uh they might have seen kites before but they emphasized they did not fly kites in conant
1: kites are banned i wonder why i wonder why they were so anti-kite in uh Conestavo. that's that's pretty interesting i want to look at the history of that maybe maybe the town the mayor had a uh fear of kites or Maybe his family was killed by a kite or something. I don't know.
0: Yeah, totally. It's like, like
1: Footloose, man. Out banning dancing. We're out banning kites and kind of Stevo.
0: Yes. Uh, I think this has like, uh, you know, Burgermeister vibes from Santa Claus is coming to town, banning toys. <laughs> yep. You know, yeah. it's got that vibe.
1: <laughs> yep. Again, these notes are so specific. I love it. I love it. it. Only you could find this stuff, man.
0: Oh, man, you got to love it. You got to love stuff like this. <laughs> so this kite, it started to grow in size and its shape became more defined. It was now a bright shining ball, four meters or 13 feet in diameter. It continued to grow in size as a, as it approached the ground. When the ball touched down, it rolled in the direction of some bushes, stopped and simultaneously split in two. The two sides fell away. And a figure stepped out from the object.
1: Naturally. Okay. Yes.
0: The children claim this figure to be more robotic in nature. They were, quote, headless, with a short, flattened torso, long legs, and inordinately long arms, which almost touched the ground. When the being walked, his hands and feet did not bend but he walked very easily and confidently straight ahead as if on an absolutely flat road. End quote. This is interesting because that particular area was not flat at all. It was very rough terrain.
1: Okay. That's terrifying.
0: Yeah. Yep. Not, not a fan, not a fan at all. This being started to move toward the town of Conantsevo, at the same time that a woman in a red dress was walking from the town. From her vantage point, she was not able to see the alien, and the children started to yell out to her.
1: Watch out, woman in the red dress. I'm glad we had to know that the dress was red, too. Very, very important to uh, put this all into context.
0: I feel like it's some kind of, like, conditioning thing, like with the Matrix, like you're supposed to watch out for this, the woman in the red dress.
1: Mm. That's very good. Yep. yep. Yep.
0: Unfortunately, she she was unable to hear them and she continued her approach. The being disappeared from sight before the woman could see them, and when she uh, reached the spot where they had disappeared, she too disappeared.
1: No. <laughs> what? Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay, we, this this is some this is a glitch in the matrix, man.
0: Oof, totally a glitch in the matrix.
1: Oh, like- that just gave me chills when you said that. I'm sorry, <laughs> I I hadn't read this. Um, you know, we were sharing notes before we started recording, and I didn't read this part. That's really scary.
0: It is utterly terrifying. Like the child in the Veronish case, she reappeared forty meters. Uh, or 131 feet from where she had disappeared. So she reappears. And not long after, a second spherical object appeared and settled down close to the other one, where a similar being emerged in a similar fashion. At one point, the being turned toward the children when they were yelling. And here's another direct
1: quote from this report. Okay, quote, As he strode off through the village, the visitor, in a black one-piece suit, turned around and looked back, and then the children perceived that, seen from the side, he was absolutely flat, and that on his chest, he had a shiny ball, or oval, about 30 to 40 centimeters, or 11 to 15 inches wide. Completely flat, so he's like two-dimensional. Two-dimensional, okay. Okay. what is going on this is like some crazy hologram stuff I'm telling you Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: an investigation group from Yaroslav was quick to arrive and investigate this case the woman in the red dress was located but chose not to elaborate on her story to investigators and wanted to remain anonymous
1: but her dress was red
0: the dress was indeed red
1: just just in case you guys were wondering.
0: Yes, it was absolutely red. Uh, that's, okay. This detail cannot be. <laughs> I'm not letting experience. it go, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> Many of the children underwent hypnosis and affirmed what they had seen, adding few details in the process. Hmm. These children were not the only people to see a being like this that summer. Uh, uh, Medvedva. I probably butchered that, but that's fine. A milkmaid at Rasavit Collective Farm stated to investigators, quote, at about 4.30 a.m. on July 16, I saw a dark figure coming quickly towards me. In height, it was taller than the average human, but the legs were short and stubby. The arms were long, reaching below the knees. On the shoulders, instead of a head, there was only a small knob. When it was 20 meters or 65 feet from me, I was paralyzed by it. Suddenly, the figure lit up and then vanished. I ran to the farm, and when I looked back, the figure appeared again and was still approaching. The Ubov, along with a boiler man named V. Chikodonov made plans to ambush the figure (laughs) okay let's let's just unpack that for a second (laughs) yeah
1: you ran away
0: from this thing and you're gonna make plans to ambush
1: it i'm telling you his confidence just (laughs) skyrocketed after that thing vanished he's like oh it's gone oh well i could have taken it i definitely could have taken it and now that it's back he's like uh maybe not maybe not headless thing with a knob for a head i i i, I i'm I'm good on that
0: yeah uh i just <laughs> it's just that, so there's so... a
1: lot to unpack here man i yeah. i just these these figures appearing and disappearing um like you had mentioned the paralyzation throughout a lot of these close encounters as well is extremely alarming
0: it is and the the similarities because we uh I covered the the Keneal case with, with Red Pill Junkie and the fact that they these cases, uh the Veroniz landing and that case occurred like two days apart from each other and they share a lot of the similar features to them, including beings that go invisible and, and, and just like tall hulking figures that uh just show up and and ufos that are seen and stuff like that uh, it's interesting that there are these two cases in two different locations that share a lot of these similarities so uh i don't know what it is about 1989 but they just had some weird shit going on and um just uh, this is so bad shit crazy uh when they did try to ambush this figure uh it unfortunately did not show up the next day oh. which is a problem, you know
1: yeah womp womp that's a very unreliable figure if you ask me
0: yeah multiple witnesses in the area claimed to see additional figures over the course of five days similar oh. exact okay. similar figures like to the t described
1: Okay, so at least, you know, there were others. At least he didn't leave them hanging. That's good.
0: Yes, uh, and and what happened in Verona seemed to be the culmination of an epic wave of sightings from all over the country that summer. And from there, reports flowed more freely in 1990 and pretty much the years that followed. So um, mm-hmm. y- y- there were additional reports, uh, I believe, mm, at a not met many issues later in flying saucer review there was actually a list of a bunch of different reports but you you talked about one uh what was it like a a crash case or something like that oh
1: yeah um so it seems like 89 was like the year in russia for like landings and really strange humanoid sightings and whatnot um but i did an episode uh back in November on crashes that came out of uh, the Soviet Union, you know, when they started kind of compiling all their files and releasing them to the United States and, or, or the reports were smuggled out by Mm -hmm. the likes of people like George Knapp and, and even Valet with a lot of the stuff that he brought back to the States. Um, There was one Rob that really caught my attention. It was called the grave of the devil UFO crash. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can run through it pretty pretty quickly if you want me to. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, man. Cool. Um, This one happened in August of 1991. Allegedly, I want to put that caveat here. Um, There was this huge object spotted on radar over the Caspian Sea, and the object was estimated to be around 2,000 feet long and about 300 feet wide, and it was traveling around 6,000 miles per hour. Uh, so the, the Russian Air Force, they sent up some MiGs to try to intercept this thing, And every time they got close to it, um, they described it as elongated and metallic. And when they got closer to it, uh, they also saw this weird symbols and writing on it that they couldn't decipher. And they actually tried to fire some warning shots at this thing to be like, yo, we're here. We don't know what you are. We don't know why you're here. Um, We, we, We want you to land or or whatnot. So when they tried to fire these warning shots, their weapons went down. They did not work. Their engines started to fail. And, um, they continued to try to follow this thing for like 45 minutes. And eventually the, you know, it was that situation where the closer they got, their instruments failed, the further they got away, they were okay. So they kind of tailed this thing for about 45 minutes and then it completely just disappeared out of sight. Um, A couple weeks later, there were rumors that this craft actually had crashed into the um, Shaitan-Mazar mountain region, uh, which is the Grave of the Devil mountain region, as it was termed. And um, they sent out this expedition group, the Russian Air Force and whatnot, to try to find it. Um, There were also UFO researchers in this expedition group, several locals and mountain climbers. And after weeks of searching, um, some of the crew started getting really bad frostbite they couldn't find anything and they ended the expedition uh the russian authorities were looking to launch a second expedition and um they claimed to have found the wreckage this was in november of 1991 so they sent out a helicopter to try to hoist a piece of the wreckage out and the helicopter actually crashed and everyone involved was killed Um, Then there was one last attempt made in 1992 to get the wreckage, and it was headed by Major German Speckhoff of the Air Force, and um, apparently they found the wreckage and the wreckage of the helicopter, and um, whatever this craft was, it was broken in half, and even from around 5,000 feet away, uh, the members of the group said that they could feel this energy coming off of the wreckage. And when they get closer, they could actually see inside the craft. And they saw these weird beams in there and uh, really cool, slick-looking flooring. And uh, they also um, saw the symbols on the side of the craft that the pilots had seen weeks earlier on the craft they were pursuing. So this was presumably the same thing. And um, supposedly they took photos, but... Apparently, according to them, the energy field around it caused the film to be ruined, of course. And it's classic video, case. Yep, I know, man. <laughs> and video cameras, too. The video cameras wouldn't work. Womp womp. So the scariest part of all of it was that they did not find any bodies from the craft inside it, nor could they find any of the bodies from the helicopter crew that had crashed. So it was like all of the people involved with this, both human and whatever else, non-human maybe, um, had all vanished. And they set up markers and planned one last expedition to retrieve everything that was left there a few months later. And when this crew arrived, literally everything was gone. No wreckage of the craft, no helicopter. The only thing left there were skid marks in the ground where the craft had supposedly crashed. So... This was crazy, man. Again, a lot of rumor, speculation, but this was one of the supposed crashes in Russia that came out of the files that they released. So, um, again, only a couple of years after everything we talked about tonight. And it really does make you wonder, did this happen or was this a fanciful story made up? Just to, I don't know, mess with the United States? Say they had bigger, better cases? Like <laughs> we're getting these juggernaut robots and... All these cool hologram-esque aliens in Russia. What's America got? Little gray chodes going around abducting people. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know what to make of it all.
0: Yeah. Is is the Veronish landing the Russian government just like, you know, puffing up their chest and trying to make themselves <laughs> seem well, like... Hey. They...
2: Yeah.
1: I Yeah. I... I I should add, you know, I know I brought up his name already, but Nick Redfern wrote, wrote a fascinating book about flying saucers in the Kremlin and a mm. lot of what he brought forward had a lot to do with was was the UFO topic a way of destabilizing the West in a mm. sense, you know? Um send them these crazy stories or uh, some people think whatever crashed in Roswell was a Russian attempt at destabilizing our country and And all that weird stuff. We even have stories of Soviet spies being inside UFO conventions back in the 50s, 60s, up through the 80s. Or, um, you know, even using the contactees in America as as ways to promote communism in the United States. It's Mm -hmm. crazy, man. The games you can play with such a malleable phenomenon and mystery.
0: Yeah, uh, there's a, a TikTok that I keep seeing that keeps coming up. Of this one town, and I can't remember where it is, but they they essentially, there was only one bridge in and out of this town, and the U.S. government kept refusing to, you know, pay to have this bridge repaired, and it was literally the only bridge that they had to get into town. So what did they do? They appealed to the Russian government, and because they appealed to the Russian government, the U.S. finally
1: stepped in and paid for this damn bridge. <laughs> So that's what you gotta do to get stuff done. Okay. That mm-hmm. that's good to know. That's I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out to some of my uh my Ruskies over there.
0: <laughs> I mean it's important, man. I you've gotta exploit those resources when you can. You got every when you time get, the I,
1: subway goes down in New York now, man. I'm gonna call up the Russians and be like, hey, can you get the <laughs> W line back up, please? I gotta get to work.
0: <laughs> yeah, seriously, like I don't <laughs> have time for this crap.
1: Just take care uh, of Someone it. call
0: Putin, please. We'll get this taken care of, you know, too sweet Uh <laughs> <laughs> so that that right there, folks, is the the craziness that is uh the brief glimpse of Russian ufology in the late 80s, early 90s. So uh Ryan, thanks for coming on and and talking about this this weird stuff, this uh this this absolutely bonkers you know russian flap so uh what do you got going on over at somewhere in the skies right now
1: yeah man well first of all thank you for having me these were some of the most colorful stories i've heard in a long time so you <laughs> you did me a favor tonight man and um oh i did want to add too the the book yeah. by valet if anyone's interested um there's an appendix in the back that has a ton Of Russian UFO cases. Mm -hmm. Um, I highly suggest people check that out. But um, uh, yeah, Somewhere in the Skies, every Monday, um, we got new episodes coming out. Um, This month, I'm doing all abductions. So I did uh, the Kentucky Three this past week um, in Stanford, Kentucky. The three women who supposedly were abducted. Uh, I was able to interview a playwright who wrote a play about that case back in 1976 and uh, yeah she got to interview the last remaining witness and also the navy recruiter who first investigated the case back in 76 uh so that that was pretty fun um like i mentioned i'm doing an episode on denise stoner and all her crazy ufo abductions throughout the years and a couple other ones that um people may or may not have heard of um but other than that, man, I'm um, just plugging away at research. I'm working on a new book I hope to have out by the end of this year with Beyond the Frey Publishing. And uh, other than that, you can uh, catch me on Mysteries Decoded. We got a new season starting uh, later this year. And also uh, Ancient Aliens. <laughs> that's it. That's that's what I'm up to. Everything I do is at com. I
0: mean, you got to go check out that episode of Ancient Aliens. It's great seriously uh everybody go check it out so as for the our strange skies podcast you can find us on most podcasting apps for some reason we're not on iHeartRadio, radio and i really need to talk to audio boom about that i'll get there eventually but uh call you, russia get yeah it done. I'm, I'm calling russia right right <laughs> after we're done with this so uh if you would like to help us out, leaving ratings and reviews and, and leaving ratings and reviews for somewhere in the skies. It helps us out tremendously. You can even do that on Spotify. Now they have a rating feature that they recently added. So, Please help us out. Support the shows that you love, uh, and sharing the show with a friend really helps too. Talking about, uh, you know, the podcast episodes that you enjoy and that you recently heard, uh, just talk them up. Show love to the podcasts that you do love. So, uh, if you want to support us monetarily, head on over to Patreon.com/slash Your UFO Guy, and for three dollars a month you get early access to the main episodes such as this one. And uh, you'll also get some bonus episodes that we do o- over on Patreon too. There are other projects that I'm a part of as well. I get to play a George nori like character, uh, you know, every other uh, we're, we're on a little hiatus right now, but uh, if you want to hear me basically be George Norrie, check out uh, uh, the order of podcasters, uh, in your podcast feed and uh, special thanks again, Ryan, for coming on. This is, this has been fantastic. And a special thanks goes out to our wonderful patrons for making this happen every month with their monthly contributions. Special thanks to floats for the use of their song UFO for the intro and outro to this program and to the great Desdemona for designing our logo. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or over the skies of South Park in Russia, in gray we trust. (laughs)